Um, let us pray. Lord, um, come now. Uh, come. Make your word alive to us. Uh, speak and let your uh, let us hear with your ears and see with your eyes. Um, see ourselves, see you, what you have done, and the freedom that you've given us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, it's good to see everybody. Um, I, as I've said every week, the third of four weeks in Galatians, one of my favorite books. Uh, and now we're sort of in the middle of the series, kind of lets my juices get going. I've really enjoyed Kind of climbing into it again uh, the last few weeks. Turn down for what? It's about the most uh, it's about the most contemporaneous title I could come up with. You know, if you go to an Alabama football game or whatever else, it's one of the the uh, the songs that they'll do a kickoff to and that you listen to if you have daughters you want to get in your car and immediately turn on the radio. Um, do you know the song? Turn down for what? It just that's all they repeat. Um, well, turn down. You know, I bet it comes out of like you know hooliganism of uh, over in London or whatever. Uh, you might know what it means to turn down. What, 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 why why sober up? To turn to turn up is to get drunk. To turn down is to sober up. And so it's the rhetorical. It's a good question. I mean, you could really sort of play into this. You know, okay, so the 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 nuns right now, the twenties, um, Claiborne, just kidding, um, are. Uh, you know, saying, why? What, turn down for what? You know, what's, what's my alternative? Why do I want to turn down? Why would I want to sort of get sober and see things as they actually are? That's nothing but pain. That's nothing but, but disillusionment. Um, uh, it's much better to go through life, you know, in sort of matrix terms. What, the blue pill? The one you don't really know what's going on. You sort of just, you know, live your life asleep, as it were. Turn down for what? Um, well, of course, that's all of what the book of Galatians is about. Um, turn down for what? And Paul's saying, for freedom. You know, Galatians 5.1 is where we are. Turn down for what? For freedom. For it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Why do I want to turn down? Why do I want to get sober? Remember tying it into where I've been the last couple of weeks. If you were here last week or listened online, you know, you fools. And he says that with love as much as you can because of the relationship that he has with him. You know, what are y'all doing? You know, who's bewitched you? In the language I put on this. Why are you so drunk? Why, why, why did you get drunk and not see things the way they are? Who did this to you? These agitators, these people that come in and, and preach another gospel as if there was another one to preach, he says quickly. Um, who took from you the eyes to see and the ears to hear the way things actually are and replaced it with uh, a bewitchment? replaced it with a drunkenness, replaced it with um, where you sense things the way that you want them to be, um, where you sense things the way that somebody else wants you to think they are, where you sense things as any other way other than the way they are actually. You know, it's a great indictment of the human condition. Um, you know, Anis Nin, one of my favorite quotes, no, no Christian, um, uh, we do not see things the way they are, actually. We see things the way we wish them to be. Um, uh, it's a great statement. That is the human condition. That is our nature. Whether you're doing behavioral economics, like Dan Airely, great little book, you know, predictably irrational. Um, we don't see things the way they actually are. We see things the way we want them to be. That's the whole basis of... of uh, consumerism, that's the whole basis of turn down for what, that's the whole basis for the false gospels and the agitators which come into the Galatians 
to us today. Turn down for what? And Paul minces no words with this very emotional um, appeal, which is why I think I like the letter so much. Turn down for what? The church wants to tell Paul. And he's yelling back at him, For freedom, you idiots! <laughs> you know, I love you. Don't do this, you idiots. For freedom, for it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Um, so turn down, that's, that's where we are. So today, um, I want to go through the text uh, again of Galatians um, 5, and maybe a little bit from 4. I'm not sure if I want to go there or not. We'll see about our time. And then, uh, as I woke up and told May May this morning, got a lot of things bouncing around um, in my mind. Uh, everything from a poem by a guy named Billy Collins to uh, a small clip from St. Vincent with Bill Murray. Uh, maybe a couple of comments on Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, there's just all sorts of things that we could talk about today. Um, so, without further ado, uh, let's turn, uh, let me turn to uh, to the text, to Galatians. Um, remembering that the, uh, sort of the theme which has emerged of the series is um, it's the great idea from Luther uh, that uh, to be a theologian breaking that word down, has nothing to do with reading or writing or speculating, he would say, uh, but one who receives the theos logos, um, the, uh, the word of God, which is living and active, which makes itself holy scripture, which has a power unto itself, and so we become the creature. Remember the picture last year, uh, last week of, uh, of the... Uh, uh, the, the, the sculpture with the oversized hands cupping the ears where we as creatures are being operated upon always in the passive tense suffering God as it were uh, suffering life on life's terms that we then as creatures suffering the word of God which is living and active receiving the word of God the theos logos we then are all theologians we all has nothing to do with degrees, with, with smarts, with intelligence, with the ability to stand up and teach, with nothing at all. Uh, just people who, and this is Luther, uh, who know life as living and dying and being damned. Uh, the experience of uh, whoever sings turned down for what? Um, living and dying and being damned. Why would I want to turn down? when uh, finally I've escaped that life, <laughs> that life of living and dying and being damned, at least now I'm numb a little bit to, uh, to that pain. And so we've chased Johnny Cash, who's a great example of someone who turned down, literally, from his amphetamines and, uh, uh, and benzodiazepine addiction, his alcohol, alcoholism, and he turned down and saw things as they actually are. Um, uh, and the Lord was right there. Um, both the Lord both the Lord himself, but also the Lord through June, Carter Cash, outside of Nickajack Lake. So we looked at that, and then, uh, and now we're going to look at some other things. So this is Paul. Um, Galatians 5, 1 through, um, I think I'll stop at verse 6. Uh, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Just to, let, me, let me contextualize the, the placement. Um, 
So, in this part of the church in Galatia, one of Paul's early letters, one of his first missionary journeys, as we call it, he started this church in Galatia, um, and, uh, and they took off. You know, white hot, they got it. Got the gospel, whatever you want to call it. And then he left, and then some others came in behind him. He called them the circumcision group, or the followers of James, or the agitators, um, those of the flesh, all these, these phrases that he has for them. And their great um, word was not Christ alone, but Christ and. Um, not faith alone, but faith and. And he wanted to bring the church back, the church in Galatia, back to um, a more Judaistic, a more Jewish root. Um, primary uh, mark of a Jew, circumcision, um, a literal mark on the flesh. Uh, of a man, uh, uh, so the circumcision group said, it's fine, you can have all of that, but to believe in Jesus, you've got to also have a Jewish root. So he wanted to Judaize Christianity, um, one of the first uh, gates that the church had to, um, to defend, uh, if not the first, that one and Gnosticism, but we can go on that another way on another day. That, of course, gate hasn't changed, it's all a different manifestation today, um, but to go back to works of the law, to go back to um, not Christ alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone, all the great solas um, the Reformation held out, but Christ and, faith and, um, justification and. I always wanted to add on, where I come back, where you come back, where somebody else, something else comes back and gets added to... Um, to our faith, to our life. Um, I swear, I sound like tennis. Um, so, uh, so that's the con- that's that's where he's talking about circumcision, saying, "Look, if you go back and you say, you know, okay, I believe, but I also believe, and just to be safe, I'm also going to sort of require circumcision or do circumcision myself." Um, that's what Paul gets really incensed about, and we got to figure out why does this such a big deal? Why does he get so hot? on this idea. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do, sum- do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Let me stop there, because that will be plenty for us to work on and then you know, be able to get to our, um, to our extra material. For freedom, Christ has set us free. It's one of my favorite phrases. We even put that on Covenant Counseling's website, kind of took that to be our kind of little motto in a very understated way. Um, for freedom, um, it is for freedom, the future life that you we are being given, both in the present tense and in the life to come. Um, freedom. And all that word will mean. And we're going to lean into that today. Um, It is for freedom. It is for such that Christ has set you free. So there's the present indicative. There's something that happened. And and it's full, final, and finished. That's what all the tense of the words mean. It is for freedom 
the thing which is coming, the thing which is and is coming, that Christ has set you free. An objective reality that changed everything. All that sort of impregnated in the Word. Christ has set you free. Why? For freedom. So now that we can go forward no longer in bondage, no longer enslaved, no longer tied to anything other than the one who sets us free. And so all those plays on words are going to be what's coming around here. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So we contrast that freedom with slavery. Look, he says, in this way he sort of steps out from behind the podium, as it were, and, uh, and makes his um, very personal appeal. Look, I, Paul, remember me? Um, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Anything that you add to uh, the completed work of Christ, as unsettling as it is, to be able to say, like, that's enough. That my glory, says the Lord, uh, is seen in loving the unworthy. Period. And that's it. And anything you try to do to wiggle out from, 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 from beneath that statement, um, oh, not me, though. Not me. I mean, surely you can't mean that. Or surely you can't mean him. Surely you can't mean that I don't have any part in this. You know, we try to fluff up some arguments and say, well, I don't want to be a puppet or something else. He's like, look, if you try to wiggle off the hook that is the gospel, where it says the full, finished, and completed work of Christ is done, uh, tetelestai, it is finished, the debt is paid, uh, look, I say that if you accept anything else, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Um, I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Very black and white. Very polar. Um, it's an either or. This is not a place where there is a shade of gray. Where there is uh, uh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, uh, if you say... Christ and a little bit of this, Christ in my awareness of what he's done, Christ in my prayers, Christ in my sort of showing up, Christ in anything else, he says, then you're obligated to meet the whole law. Damnation. You know, in other words, living and dying and being damned. Um, there is no freedom in that. He, he puts it right out there. You are severed from Christ in the sense of... Um, not that we've fallen away from grace and now we're back outside a state of grace and all that sort of old, sort of medieval teaching. But if the bond of grace is broken, um, you are severed from Christ. If the bond of grace is broken from Christ, there is no other bond to Him. The only way that we are connected to Christ is through grace, is through the gospel, is through His love, one way, in Paul Zoll's great phrase, uh, one way to us, that's the only way that we're connected to him. And if that bond is broken, there is no other bond. There's no end around. There's no other way, Paul is saying. Um, uh, there's not different ways up the mountain. If you're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, then you have fallen away from grace. Uh, uh, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Um, a word I've learned this week, great little word, Right wisenness, um, not a word that we use anymore, but was used in the 16th century, um, has that relational part. Righteousness is a relational word, as the New Testament uses it. Right wisenness. If you do any kind of woodwork or whatever else where you get a square corner, 
it's right wise. It's in one corner is in relation to the other. Um, uh, the hope of right wiseness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So the last word in the text, and then we'll see about um, connecting it to, uh, to some other things that are going on in, in culture today. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. Um, faith which expresses itself, and this is where we're really going to hit next week, um, faith which expresses itself in loving another person, in being different, in doing things. Um, as Luther would say, Christians do not make, uh, are not made righteous by doing righteous things, but having been made righteous by faith in Christ, we do righteous things, right wiseness things in relation to other people on the other side of this event of being brought in um, to an, a love for the unworthy uh, and the experience, the sweet, comfortable experience of, of after living and dying and being damned, that God loves us anyway, we begin to do things differently. That's what especially what he's going to do next week when we look at it, the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, um, which comes out in Galatians. Here at the back end of the letter, uh, properly so, um, love, joy, peace, patience, Faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I should ask Miriam. I always miss two of them. I can't remember which they are. So, um, so that's our text work. Now we're going to sort of look at some other things and keep massaging that. But I want to sort of get those, those, those phrases in there. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. For by the Spirit, uh, for through the Spirit, by faith, uh, the hope of right wiseness, the hope of righteousness, the hope of our relationship to God as a creature to the Creator, dependent always upon Him. There is no and. There's no sort of me and God. It's just God. It is just God. The glory of God alone is to love the unworthy, not to, um, uh, not to have me sort of make Him proud by sort of saying, yes, there's none of that. There's none of that. He's not that kind of parent. Just none of it. None of it. None of it. So any comments? I know that's kind of the heavy stuff, but it's important. Let me get that text in. Got to see all that. There's an interesting tension, uh, Bill, because and you may be developing this next week. Um, we possess the righteousness of Christ, and yet we hope by faith for righteousness. Right. At the same time. Sure. How do we possess it, though? We can do a little bit of theology here. Well, we may be, we may disagree. We possess Christ's righteousness through the atonement of Christ, right. and then the um, um, uh, imputation. Exactly. The imputation of, of Christ. So it remains always outside of us, yeah. extrinsic, alien. Yeah, we possess it that way in some ontological, like real. Right, sense. right, like in we're real. Really righteous right now, but right. we're not. Right. We're, we're stuck in a tension. I don't know if you're going to elaborate on that when we get to this Probably not, but you're exactly right. Even this great phrase, the hope of righteousness, which is the only, doing my reading this week, the only sort of eschatological, this is just for me and Jason, y'all can listen. The only eschatological statement in the whole book is right there, where he keeps the, the three tenses of salvation present, pregnant in the hope, the elpis of righteousness, of righteousness, of dikaiosune, that I am saved, I, am, I, I was saved, I am saved, I am being saved. All of that is always there. Yeah, and hope is, you know, hope is unseen. I mean, we, we possess it, but we can't necessarily own it. Exactly. Because it's always there. It's always it's gift always so that no man may boast. Right. It's never mine. Oh, good, it's mine now. So now it's me and God 
doing this together. Paul no, never goes there. Always, hundred percent. Yep, I would want to do it. So, um, like, what is belief? I believe that somebody could walk across that wire between those two buildings. Trust is, I believe that I'm going to get up on that wire and do it, um, um, or be carried by somebody else. Big difference. Uh, one is not me. I did not possess it. It doesn't have any effect on me. Um, but but in, in faith, working itself through love, I'm being carried. I'm suffering this, this, this guy wire. That's totally an imperfect analogy. I don't know why I just did that. It's in there. So. Yep, always outside. The extrinsic, imputed, alien righteousness of Christ. Um, the glory of God is the love of the unworthy. And we'll see some of that here, especially in the Bill Murray clip, I hope. That's what I want to do. It's my least, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where we are, but I hope we will. I do. So a couple of places. Pete, um, who's not here, um, sent me a a poem this week. Um, Never heard of this guy. He's a poet laureate of uh, of the United States for a while. Billy Collins. Anybody follow poetry? I know this. Pete, where'd you get this? He's like, well, I like poetry, but it's got to be poetry that I can understand. And it's got a cartoon attached to it. Um, Uh... And I wish Pete was here because I could could play with him. But um, so we're gonna look at "Some Days" by Billy Collins, and then we're gonna look at "Shelter from the Storm" by Bob Dylan, another poet. Um, so we're not done yet. <laughs> uh, this tension. I am glad you brought that up because there's a lot of tension because we're free and yet we're not free, not free at all because we're bound. Um, again, Ashley Knowles, great. Uh, uh, summary of, of the anthropology which Cramner adopted through Melanchthon and Luther and everybody else. Um, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. And so it comes down to a matter of the heart. It's always about the heart. So if the heart is both wanting to be righteous in and of itself, wanting to retain righteousness, we want to do something rather than just sort of keeping it outside of me, but at the same time trusting in that hope, and we're both at the same time uh, sinner and saint, a heart of stone and a heart of flesh. We have these dual experiences in our life, in our day-to-day, minute-to-minute, second-to-second experience of I see that and I wish that were more of me. Um, And that's where the tension here is going to be captured in this poem and then say a comment about Fifty Shades of Grey, I think, because I've been in conversation with several people about that this week. And then uh, then we'll look at Bill Murray. So this poem, Some Days, let me just read it. And then we'll watch it, and so you'll hear it twice, because I probably listened to it and read it, I don't know, a dozen times in the last two days, and I'm still seeing something new every time I read it. So, Some Days, by Billy Collins, um, uh, who's still alive, born in 1941. Some days I put the people in their place. It's a metaphor. Let me just tell you what it's about before we... It's a metaphor about figures in a dollhouse. Um, uh, and some days he puts the people in the dollhouse, and then he turns... And he realizes that some days I am the figure that's being placed in the dollhouse. And it's not as funny as it once was. Um, So some days. Some days I put the people in their places at the table, bend their legs at the knees if they come with that feature, and fix them into the tiny wooden chairs. All afternoon they face one another, the man in the brown suit, the woman in the blue dress, perfectly motionless, perfectly behaved. But other days... 
I am the one who is lifted up by the ribs, then lowered into the dining room of a dollhouse to sit with others at the long table. Very funny, but how would you like it if you never knew from one day to the next if you were going to spend it striding around like a vivid god, your shoulders in the clouds, or sitting down there amidst the wallpaper, staring straight ahead with your little plastic face? A lot of tension here. A lot of tension in this idea of, of slave or free. What am I? What are we? Um, am I free? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, or am I enslaved? Very funny, until I'm never sure from one day to the next if I'm, you know, as a God, sort of held up by the ribs. Very important. Whenever ribs come out, what do we think of? It's a pregnant word. Creation. Adam, Eve, um, that ribs were formed from the earth, and then from Adam's ribs, you know, Eve proceeded. So, you know, it sort of pulls that resonance right in there. The idea of being a creature, being created. Uh, very funny, until I'm never sure that anxiety from one day to the next, which can be pretty horrific with people. If you have mental illness like bipolar, or you're living with somebody who's abusive, for instance, um, that's going to be the Fifty Shades of Grey reference. Uh, very funny until you're never sure when you wake up which relationship am I in? You know, am I free today or am I totally in bondage? Because it feels free as long as I'm, you know, like a god up in the clouds and everything's mine and I get to sort of dictate life, even if they come with that feature, crossing their legs and making them sit, etc. and so forth. But then other days, I'm not the bear, I'm being eaten by the bear. And it's not so funny when I'm placed in the dollhouse staring at the wallpaper uh, with my little plastic face. Wallpaper and plastic, the way I read it, you know, covering up all the impurity, all that's not real. I'm turned up just because I can't bear to stand uh, what's actually behind the wallpaper, what's actually behind the plastic. Um, so, some resonance here. Just the tension between, um, we'll call it the already and not yet, my life for it is for freedom that Christ has set me free, and yet the bondage that I feel, not only the way that I I, I, I am in relationships with other people the way that I dictate relationships, but how they are in relationship to me. Some days. Oh. Y'all want to see it? <laughs> I put the people in their places at the table, bend their legs at the knees if they come with that feet. Yeah. Some days. Some days I put the people in their places at the table bend their legs at the knees if they come with that feature and fix them into the tiny wooden chairs. All afternoon, they face one another, the man in the brown suit, the woman in the blue dress, perfectly motionless, perfectly behaved. But other days, I am the one who is lifted up by the ribs and then lowered into the dining room of a dollhouse to sit with the others at the long table. Very funny, but how would you like it if you never knew from one day to the next if you were going to spend it striding around like a vivid god, your shoulders in the clouds, or sitting down there amidst the wallpaper, staring straight ahead with your little plastic face? I say too much about this. Just gonna leave it hanging out. This was on a TED talk. If somebody's interested and wants to go back and, and look at this a little bit more, 
but there's a this collision of living and dying and being damned with the sweet comfort of the gospel that once we know that we turn up just to uh, make life tolerable we're almost um, willfully seeing things the way that I wish they would be you know making life bearable tolerable that sort of thing that I uh, I readily take the blue pill and I stare at the wallpaper uh, through my little plastic face just because the alternative some, some days is, uh, is just practically unbearable for some people. Um, so it introduces that tension. I'll compete. Um, and then Fifty Shades of Grey is right out there right now. And this needs to be said. I've had this conversation with a couple of people, which usually indicates that it's on a lot of people's minds. I haven't seen it. I have no plans on seeing it. Um, but the the girl, she's in college. Is that right? Anybody know? I'm not afraid to say. Oh yeah, she, um, she's in college. I think I've read about it. So she's in college, and she meets this billionaire. Um, and the idea is that she freely consents because she even signs a waiver. Says I'm not going to tell anybody because he has a lot to lose. And uh, and so the the idea is, well, it must be okay. She consented. Um, no freedom. <laughs> He's not free. She's not free. They're not free. There's no freedom. And I just want to say that. I mean, what needs to be said, this idea that's being trumped, that that's a, uh, look, as long as they're not hurting anybody, because that's always the catch, isn't it? Well, as long as they're not hurting anybody, and they're both consenting, I guess there's nothing wrong with it. Well, there's no, there's total imbalance of power. He's a billionaire. Do we not think money has power? She's in college. She's 20. She never had sex before. She doesn't know anything about relationships. And they get into this, this tryst, and then he's bound. I mean, I think even the books sort of describe a childhood where it's also... And this is not a Christian observation. Just, you know, in my work, psychology, etc., almost always that type of... of, of it would, eh, deviancy is not a word that's used very much anymore. I want to be fair. That expression would generally be uh, uh, indicative, thank you, of a um, uh, someplace, uh, let me get back on track. There's an intermingling of pain, control, dominance. Uh, something happened where love was confused. That's the big word. Where love was confused with control. Love was confused with pain. If at least I'm hurting, I know that I'm alive. At least if I'm hurting, I know that my dad and my mom know that I exist. Something like that. And so that's him. He's not free. He's completely bound to that. She's not free. There's just nothing free about it. And I just want to say that because everybody's saying it's a free expression of, of, uh, of sexuality, whether it's in a marriage or elsewhere. So, so from some days, it's very fun, very funny, until one day you're not, you're in handcuffs having sex and that's not what you want to do. Um, and I'm sitting here staring at the wallpaper with my little plastic face. Um, there's not a big leap to that. This was fun two weeks ago. It's not so fun anymore. And I can't get out because I signed that stupid paper. And this is happening. Uh, it has to be happening in college. It um, has to be happening. If it's, uh, if it's out there in the book, we, we mimic that. So I think we need a voice there. So that's it. And then um, the last one was Bill Murray. who was talking beforehand. I love Bill Murray. Um, I like him getting old because it seems like he's having to deal with his age. He's having to deal with the fragility of, of, uh, of not being 
sort of the it guy in Hollywood as a young, brash, 21-year-old, um, you know, coming in stripes so he could write his own thing. We can just sort of say whatever we wanted to say, do whatever we wanted to do, and everybody would like him. And now he's having to play a whole different part. And that fragility, which is why I'm drawn to Johnny Cash or some others, where you can see it in their voice, see it in their face. They play with the minor key, in the minor key now, the experience of living and dying and being damned. There's a movie that's out. I haven't seen it, St. Vincent's. I want to see it. Um, I'm a, as I was telling Hughes and everybody um, who was listening, I'm a sucker for these movies. Uh, there's an obvious redemptive aspect, a coming of age, of a reckoning. Of, I'm going to turn down and see a relationship as it actually is. And in this instance, I think it's going to be with a little boy. Uh, and he realizes that life does have some meaning. And, of course, that meaning is always carried in a relationship. Uh, and that's what the movie St. Vincent is about. Um, the guy's name is Vincent. But this is him just singing Shelter from the Storm, which is on the flip side, Bob Dylan. A song I really don't know much about at all until I started thinking about this. But I know Bob Dylan is a poet. And he played with religious themes even before he became a Christian. And just the first verse is the only one I'll sort of play with. And then we'll look at this. It's two minutes, so we'll be done. I was in another lifetime, one of toil and blood, when blackness was a virtue and the road was full of mud. I came from the wilderness, a creature void of form. Come in, she said. I'll give you shelter from the storm. You can look at the last verse, and it's pretty easy to identify that she is not really a woman, but it's probably grace, um, maybe even person of Christ in a, in a female pronoun, but I think probably grace, which is um, almost always identified you know, as, a, as a feminine, that come in, come unto me, all ye who travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. Grace, um, freedom, uh, the fruit of truthfulness, of turning down and seeing things as they actually are, of truthfulness is freedom, and there is refreshment there. Come in, she said, and I'll give you shelter from the storm. For it was in another lifetime, my pre-conversion, before I saw things as they were, when I was turned up and I didn't want to come down, uh, my old life, my life in the flesh, my life um, when I thought circumcision had value, when I was struggling to do things and I kept running into myself, realizing that I can't do this. I can't raise these kids. I can't do this job. It's not working. I keep running into my finitude, my limits, my brokenness. I keep getting in my own way. I am my own worst enemy. It was in another lifetime. That lifetime, one of toil and blood, I think this has to be in there. I was just thinking of this this morning. The curses in Genesis 3. You, Adam, will now go turn the soil, and there'll be sweat from your brow. And now, Eve, there'll be pain in childbirth. Toil, blood, the curse, as far as the curse is found, Isaac Watts, was one of toil and blood. That life, when blackness was a virtue and the road was full of mud, I came in from the wilderness, the anti-garden of Eden, the outside east of Eden, banished in that place, my life, minute to minute. I came in a creature, remember here, void of form, as the spirit hovered over the deep, which was void and without form, and the words came, and the words came, and grace spoke, like a song, like a melody, and she sang to me the sweet words, come in and I will give you shelter from the storm. And Bill Murray gets it. I just swear he does. I mean, he's right there in this great clip where uh, he, uh, he's sitting there, and I think this is actually an unmediated freedom where there's just no, no guile. Now, obviously, he's acting, 
but it, this resonates with me deeply. I don't know why it does. So I'd love some feedback. You know, we're going to run out of time, so you can talk to me later. I just, I just see this, and I think, this is it. Because he thinks he's alone, and he's just singing the song in his, eight, in his cassette player. You can see it. Um, just singing the song with the fragility, imperfect. He even tries to do a descant, and I love it because it doesn't work. It sounds like I would be trying to do it because he didn't know anybody's watching. Unmediated, he's not performing, and he just lost for a minute, believing the words that he's singing. Come in, and I'll give you shelter from the storm. And for this little time, and as he's sitting out there smoking a cigarette, he's free. It is for freedom that Christ is. That's how I see this. I just, I, I get it. Um, so I'd love some feedback. I wish I smoked. time I actually I think I think that's a pretty good piece of film right there right up to the end where he's sort of humming I think he starts to realize no I'm still I'm still here I'm still me life is pretty crappy but for two minutes I was free there was no wall between us and I was actually I was actually free I love that so let me pray Lord, come, 
it is for freedom that you have set us free. Free us now from the bonds, from the bonds of sin and death, the flesh, the law, um, the, the Satan. Um, come, free us, Lord. Free us to have a lively faith, um, busy and active in love to, to others, to you. Um, free us, Lord, to have these unmediated moments, even, even the way Bill Murray shows us, to, uh, to know uh, freedom. Uh, for the, the freedom for which we have been set free. I beg this in Jesus' name. Amen.